Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Lehman Crafton Jr., one of the writers for the Torg Eternity Pan Pacifica series, the newest edition of the RPG series where you defend the Earth against unknown forces from other realities. Lehman, welcome to the binge. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is great having you here. Uh, man, there is a lot to dig into with this series because people who love RPG, I'm sure, are going to geek out over this. For those who don't know much about RPG, I'm sure they're going to learn a lot. So I want to thank you in advance for your time. How long have you been writing uh, for? Like, I guess I'm going to call this creative writing. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, creative writing was one of those things I dabbled in ever since I was a teenager, you know, 13, 14 years old. I was, I was going to be, you know, the, the next, oh, back, back in that day, I liked Raymond E. Feist or, uh, you know, the, the fantasy writers, you know, I was trying to write my own novel and took creative writing classes as electives. Oh, really? okay. And then, um, I was always, well, not always, I, I got it really big into, role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games. And as I was uh, kind of moving the two together, I was like, well, hey, I can write, you know, one of these games and spent like 10 years writing the wrong game for the wrong time. <laughs> Releasing it on a drive through RPG back when it was in its infancy. Um, made some tens of dollars. <laughs> yeah. But but learned a lot and then have just been, you know, writing stuff for myself and for my groups and that since then. Um, then I want to say back in around 2010, I decided to submit a uh, unofficial, but still submit a, a little article, I guess, for the uh, Palladium books role-playing game Beyond the Supernatural. Mm -hmm. I really like the uh, paranormal investigation type you know, supernatural or X-Files type thing and wrote an article from them and it was accepted in their rifter and published as unofficial material, but Hey, somebody else published my work. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I guess then, when you can finally say like you're officially published, right. And that's, right. that's a huge milestone, isn't it? Right. So that was a uh, 2010 and then um, Torg, Eternity started to become a thing on the radar. It's development. I was following on uh, their forum. And when it came out, they offered on DriveThruRPG what's known as the Infiniverse Exchange, where fans can write fan stuff mm. and, and publish it on DriveThruRPG using, you know, Torg's Eternity stuff, unofficial material, but stuff that people can check out. And I did a, I just went all out instead of like doing little snippets of things. I just threw all my ideas together, like my own Cosm verse and was like, Hey, th this is out here. And that did well after that, which made me feel good. Cause you know, my, my previous game failed and this one with backing of a, a somewhat known name, yeah. you know, got me some success. And I was asked, Hey, do you want to write an act in this adventure coming up officially? And I'm like, yes, I do want to write that act. Oh, that's and crazy. That led to uh, me writing for relics of uh, power redux for uh, Torg eternity. And after that, I just have been more and more involved. <laughs> so, 
Now, do you write full, like, is this like your full-time job or are you doing something else and this is a kind of a side hustle or? This is my uh, night, <laughs> night weekend thing. So in the day, I'm actually a forensic scientist at a crime lab. No kidding. Yeah. So, wow, uh, that is crazy. I do uh, fingerprints. Now, is that, inf- is, has that, have you drawn from any of that in any of your writing at all? Like, I got to imagine that like, being a forensic scientist yourself when you're you're writing the forensic stuff it's going to be more authentic right than somebody kind of doing research and guessing or or for the uh beyond the supernatural with that being an investigation i heavily went into the this is what you kind of see on tv if you want i mean yes we're playing a tabletop role-playing game it's not real but if you want to understand certain things this you know can can help out here's how you know crime scenes and crime labs actually work it's not like csi on tv where the same guy goes to the crime scene does everything brings it back you know it, it's like different sections of of stuff but i always love when they when they run the fingerprint well, just let me run this fingerprint yeah all of a sudden it just no. starts highlighting they got a match just like that the guy's mugshot instantly comes up it's like wow this guy's been wanted on three different cases it's like no that's not <laughs> how it works <laughs> i wouldn't have a job if that's how it worked how long you've been doing forensic science for how i mean that's so interesting oh it, it's it's hilarious um because i i went to university first for anthropology and then i'm like it's not quite what I want. So then I did classical languages because I, I really loved Greeks and Romans and uh, got a, a second degree in classical languages, Latin and, and ancient Greek. And then I spent the next probably 14 years paying off my student loan yeah. <laughs> at kind of a deadbeat job. And right before I turned 40, I'm like, man, I want a career change. So two days before my 40th birthday, I got hired in the crime lab. <laughs> so I've been there, um, not, or I got hired in at the, uh, the patrol and three years doing a 10 print, which is a different type of fingerprint and then six years. So next year I'll be, uh, 10 years at doing fingerprints. And not to divert this conference, but I, again, this is, <laughs> this, I find it's extremely fascinating. So do you, do you see fingerprints like that was the main way of identifying somebody on, on a crime scene, uh, yes. you know, 30, 40 years ago before DNA really started kind of making its, its uh, foray into, into criminal science. As the technology advances, do you see fingerprints continuing to, to play a vital role or has it become more of a piece of a larger picture? It, it's both. We have a lot more techniques back, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, it was, we, you would fume it with a, a super glue, actually a, a cyanoacrylate solution. You would heat it up. It makes gases, sticks to the fingerprints, and then you put fingerprint powder on it. And that was basically it. Now we have so many other things that we can use, uh, dye stains, which will stain the fingerprint. And then we use the fluorescent lights with, you know, the goggles that you see on yeah. TV and, you know, get them to, to shine and stuff. And a lot of times um, we can back up DNA and they can back up us up. So it's always good when you have both. <laughs> yeah. You know, saying, can you hey, pull this... DNA from, can you, I mean, there'd be oils, I guess, coming from, like, can you pull DNA <clears throat> from an actual fingerprint too, or? Right. So, you know, you have your, your fingerprint, Yeah. but sometimes there might just be a little part of it. Not enough for me to say this could be this person, but it's enough yeah. for me to see it go. This is friction Ridge and swab it 
and then give it the DNA and DNA can then do that as well. So, uh, or sometimes a uh, piece of evidence will be submitted for DNA and they'll look at it and they'll say, I think this is a full fingerprint. Can you do something with this? You know, and then I can look at it and say, yeah, I can do something with that. So. That's oh, crazy. The now it has it always been RPG for you or is board games kind of uh, come into the fold here at all as well? Or have you focused mainly your it's my, my passion is role-playing games, yeah. but it didn't start that way. Like uh, when I was introduced to dungeons and dragons back in like middle school, I hated it. I, I, I like my friends were like, Hey, let's do this thing. And after, you know, a couple hours, I was like, I died and what's going on. And I don't understand these rules. And then I actually got into it through a, uh, I, was, I was really big into comic books, GI Joe. I'd yeah. have, you know, Marvel GI Joe sent to me every month and they had this big full color, uh, Robotech role-playing game advertisement so i talked my mom to send in a check because there wasn't paypal or online ordering and got that and after i read that then that's what got me hooked into to role playing and that so and when you create your own story what was what thematically what was your own story based on uh it was a like a, a fantasy world that had okay. forgotten about magic and magic was getting reintroduced into the world like the force awakens <laughs> it's starting to come back probably right? that yeah. that bad too probably <laughs> we're, we're talking me as a teenager writing so so then you you met the uh, ulysses uh, spiel group um by by submitting i guess you're saying a uh, a sample story right uh that uh to, to, I guess, was it like a contest or I guess you said they just kind of, you just submit stories and they kind of went through everybody's submissions or how'd that work? Basically on a, a drive through RPG, they had their Ulysses, you know, spiel a tour section. Yeah. And then they had another one that was fan based for fans to write their own material. And basically it, it's something like you get this percentage of the cut, which is a little bit, I mean, it's still pretty decent. Um, but it's a little bit less than if you submit your own stuff directly. But when I sub submit my own stuff directly, it's just me and who knows me. Yeah. If I submit something with, you know, saying, hey, this is Torg and it, the layout's the same and stuff like that, then people who are in Torg might look at my stuff. And, you know, somebody within the team looked at it and was like, hey, this person wrote a bunch of stuff in two months, you know, and it was a hundred pages. So, Hey, they can write. <laughs> yeah. And, and what I've heard, I don't know how true it is, is that you need three things to be an RPG writer, which is you need to make deadlines or two out of three things, make deadlines, have a good personality or write good. So whichever two of those are, I know one of them is making deadlines. The other two, I don't know which <laughs> one it is, but hopefully it's both. Maybe I can get a three out of three. <laughs> Well, it was going to be one of my, my, my questions was the length of time it takes to write these stories. And it sounds like you write very fast. I, I think for a couple of months and then I sit down and I just binge write until everything is just out. And then I like die for a day. <laughs> so how does that process work? Do you, do you frame things out? Like, do you loosely kind of straw man it out, so to speak of kind of the story or you're just constantly kind of virtually building it in your mind until you're ready to go. And then you just, I've done both. It's okay. kind of whatever the project is. When I did um, the 
the relics of power mm-hmm. redux i basically there were certain places i wanted to hit and kind of bring those places to life and i also re- i wrote about russia and i've been to russia and i've been there in the winter and it was taking place in the winter and i basically wanted to explain how excruciatingly painful their winter can be <laughs> so it was like getting emotions onto the page and then when i did um, blood on the blasted lands that was a, a different aspect of going to certain places that i had been to and you know bringing that touch to it so it's not just a hey whatever you know, I'm just making stuff up like a, hey, here's an actual place in the world because it takes place on a earth, you know, earth basically. Yeah. And then, um, but that was more structured. Like we had a, here's the beginning, here's little snippets that we want to include, but you fill in everything. And then I, the uh, Operation Soft Cell, the three authors and that, we all got together in a Zoom meeting and basically hashed it out and we're bonking ideas off of each other and they just kept exploding until we had, you know, a kind of an outline of the whole thing. So I've, I've done it all, all with Torg, you know, sometimes it's just, it comes to me and other times it's, you know, drawing out an outline and stuff. So it sounds like though you anchor it in, there, there's, there's a kind of a spark of reality mm-hmm. in your stories, right? Like, like the rush example, right. Or you're, you're anchored in a specific place and a specific memory you're having, and you're kind of building the story around, a tangible memory, right? So I think right. in, in that case, it's got to be easier for people to visualize what you're describing because you're describing a real thing. They may mm-hmm. not realize it's a real thing, but you're describing a real thing, right? Right. Yep, exactly. Try to use those personal moments yeah, so that I can put some emotion onto the page and present it in a, in a good manner. How do they meet up the different when you have um, different authors, you know, taking different kind of sub stories within, you know, the, the, the greater realm? How do they mash those together so it doesn't come across like different writers or does it matter? I guess in that case. Oh, uh, we do a lot of even though, like, say you might have seven acts in a mega adventure and I'm writing these two acts and another mm-hmm. guy's writing these two and then one gets uh, ends up with three we're as soon as we're finishing we're sending those to the others so they can be read and sometimes they'd be like hey we need to link this to this so remember to put this in you know or this person you know needs to they were in act three now they need to be in act seven too and we go through that so it's kind of like getting everything down but then also making sure that it all flows together so it's not just a stop start stop start you know type yeah. thing and it flows better for those who don't know what torg is a torg series can you can you tell us about kind of explain this world uh to to our audience so they can understand so let's start off with rpgs so it's a role-playing mm-hmm. game right so right. if you can kind of explain to people kind of what that is and then kind of the broader story and realm of torg if, if, if you could okay so how i've always considered role-playing games is either like a improv acting if you want to be you know high fluting i'm improving or it's playing you know uh cops and robbers as kids but with actual rules so you use your imagination of let's pretend or tell stories but there's rules with it and a lot of it's in your mind although you might have miniatures and maps to help understand things and certain games are more or less torg is very much more of a theater of the mind type Mm -hmm. game where you do imagination 
And with the, the role playing, you have players, which assume the roles of a specific individual character. And then you have the game master who kind of figures out the plots, whether that they're coming up with their own ideas or they're following an adventure within a official source book or one of the things on the Infiniverse exchange. And they can basically send through, through a plot, send uh, players through a story. And depending on dice rolls and rules that are used, it can go sideways or upwards or downwards into all types of direction. And that's what's cool is it's not necessarily a book. It's like when you're watching the movie and you're like, why are you so stupid? Why are you not doing this thing? Well, in role-playing games, you can do that thing. And then you might realize how stupid you were <laughs> or how great you are. <laughs> that's awesome. And so then the story of Torg. So you have these different, uh, I guess we're going to call them cosms. So what's a cosm? So a cosm is like a, a completely different reality. So Torg is made up of basically an infiniverse, which has cosm verses. So if you think of the multiverse and other IPs, that's kind of what the infiniverse is. But a cosm verse has different realities within it. So in one cosm verse of Torg, you'll have a what's known as a core earth, which is like our earth, but it's more if uh, action movies were documentaries, um, like if Die Hard was actually a real thing that happened mm -hmm. or, you know, any, anything back, you know, 80s, 90s type stuff is, is happening in, in that core earth. And the, the stories of the people give people hope and possibility. And that creates an energy that is the energy that these evil beings out there want and they each have their own cosm which is a reality and a reality is a set of four axioms there's magic axiom tech axiom spirit actual axiom and social axioms and that kind of sets the framework of what they what can actually occur in that world and what can't and then there's world laws that play off of that but as an example living land is a savage dinosaur people uh land and its tech is like a seven which is mm -hmm. spears yeah things above that just don't work so it might not make sense to you why am i trying to shoot this gun and it's not working in this game well it's because that reality doesn't accept that it works so your gun goes click and you know in a uh high fantasy world with magic those spells can work even though they would not work on the core earth because it's the magic reality and its reality says yes this works here it doesn't care if it doesn't work or you know in your in your mind mm -hmm. so there's core earth has so much possibility energy that normally a high lord which is the big bad guy of that, that reality is connected to an evil device called the darkness device and they invade other realms other cosms and basically suck them dry of this possibility energy but core earth which is stories and hope and just the the big immense power of of that is so powerful that one high lord by him or herself cannot take it over so they had to have multiple realities invade to try to siphon this off. And since they're all a bunch of 
evil people, they're they are like, yeah, I, I I promised, you know, that I'm not gonna attack you and we'll do this together, and they're all vying for themselves. So uh, there's Isle, which is the high magic. That's basically an easy one for people if they're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. You can, and that's what they want to play some uh, wizard or paladin or, you know, a cleric type thing. Mm-hmm. They can say, okay, Isle sounds reasonable. There's the living land, which, like I said, is the dinosaur people, savage dinosaurs, jungles, low tech, very high spirit. So they can call miracles down. You know, big bolts of lightning and, and stuff like that. Um, then there's the cyber papacy, which is cyberpunk with the Catholic church, you know, <laughs> combined. Um, so there's cyberware and that's in, in France. It's kind of a takeoff of the schism that happened. And you have the French papacy and the uh, Rome papacy. It's like the, the false papacy got big. Then there is... Nile Empire, which is a favorite of most people, which happens, it's Indiana Jones with Egyptian deities and the pulp powers, like the old pulp comics from the 1930s. Indiana Jones is just the the way to say that, and people love it. Yeah. (laughs) There is um, Aurorsh, which is gothic horror, which is the main high lord, the gaunt man, the biggest of the bad guys the biggest b b e g <laughs> and um it's basically the the gothic horror victorian age um very nasty stuff pan pacifica which is the one that we're doing now is a corporate intrigue realm um with that's a little more advanced you have james bond type things you have uh, power armors similar to, say, either Iron Man or Bubblegum Crisis, that type of uh, stuff going on. And it started off as the corporate aspect is they need to take over governments. So mm-hmm. they introduce a problem that causes panic and people to and lawlessness. And then they come in with the solution and they offer it to the government as, hey, give up some of your power and we'll solve this problem for you and what they did in torg eternity is they started a zombie apocalypse so <laughs> the the first say uh, 90 days was taking care of the zombies and infected and and things like that and then it switched over it it did get out of hand kind of resident evilish with raccoon city where you know went further than what they thought but in most of the civilized cities and stuff they've contained it and they're going on now of a hey we got this better for you now look at all of our cool stuff like gene modifications and you can be cat girls and you know things things like that um and then i want to say tharkold is the one that i did a lot with it is a uh, techno demon realm techno horror that landed in russia and that is a if a lot of these are mi- ma- mashups mm-hmm. and tharkold is if you take terminator and hellraiser and mad max and smush them all I- into a horrible love child <laughs> that's what you would get with tharkold that's cool and, and I'll, i'd be remiss to, to to say i mean they're absolutely crushing it on kickstarter right now this campaign uh, I believe I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars because it's quite frankly the only way I can see it. Um, 
is about $210,000. I believe they've hit on this uh, on a, a goal of $26,000. So 10x their goal. Um, 41 hours to go still. So for people that are interested uh, definitely in uh, the Torg series and specifically uh, Torg Eternity, Pan Pacifica, um, this particular campaign, if they're going to back it, you got under two days left to back it. I will put links in the show notes for people that do want to find it easily. Um, but what I found interesting when we were talking just off air about this, as I've been trying to bring myself up to speed on this whole universe is that uh, there was two things. One was I asked you, how long does a campaign take? <laughs> and your answer, give me your answer. Uh, my, my home campaign was 25 years. That's a long campaign. <laughs> <laughs> From the original Torg back in 1990. And then um, towards the, the later end, we switched characters over to Torg Eternity. So. Yeah. And then the second thing I thought was interesting is that Torg uh, predated... Um, uh, Ulysses Spiel, right? So um, can you talk just quickly on how they, like when they took over the rights of this and, and kind of how that all worked? Sure. Uh, originally, Torg was a West End Games that no longer exists, but it was a big company back in the 80s and 90s. In 1990, that's when I got introduced and fell in love with Torg. Um, they went through some buyouts and, and things like that, and the IP was kind of pushed along. Somewhere, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s, an individual kind of bought the right, and he tried a few things with it. I don't know everything about that. Um, but basically, at some point, he needed to sell the rights, and Ulysses Spiel, uh, the, the German game company, bought it. And I want to say it was around 2015 to 2017, I, I could be wrong on this, but those are the dates that I kind of have in my head were the the writing of it, of the Torg Eternity version. Um, one of the, the big developers of the, the new version was Shane Hensley from mm -hmm. Pinnacle. And so uh, him and a couple of the people from the uh, Ulysses Spiele team then got into it. I want to say it was 2017 when they went through the original Kickstarter and everything, and then have been having waves after that. So. Each of these cosms, they're uh, doing one at a time. And, and I think you were saying that although the Torg series and, and the seven cosms have kind of been in existence in the original story, that was based on kind of the first war, I guess, in that series. Right. And what Alyssa Spiel has done is they've now, you know, brought in the writing team. And as they've been uh, writing each of these new books uh, is, is based on another war happening, right? A more intense war, more dire. Is that kind of the way you were describing it or? Yes. I, I trying to say, if I rem remember the quote, uh, so something to the effect of it is desperate, but not dark. <laughs> so they still wanted heroic because Torg is set up somatically. It's supposed to be an, an elevator pitch is, you know, if you have your, your two minutes or 30 seconds, whatever to say is imagine that you have characters that can grow up to be Harry Potter. Um, oh, I'm, I'm just, of course I, my, I go on a, a blank <laughs> right now, but um, the, the diehard guy who, oh, Bruce Willis and diehard. I can't. Oh, yeah. Bruce Willis. Okay. Yeah. John. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. John. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, I can't remember his name now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you have like uh, 
the the monster hunter McLean, john mcclain john Mc, john mcclain harry yeah, potter yeah, yeah. um van helsing you know and some other people get get together the, the terminator get together yeah. to sa- try to save the world from invaders that's awesome Where, what, what's next like are you going to keep writing for the torque series or do you have other projects now that you're kind of uh branching out into uh, Torg, Torg, <laughs> year year two. This was uh, Pan Pacifica kind of sets the stage, and then in year two we get to just mess it up. <laughs> Have you ever had any aspirations of doing any? You know, I know you start kind of doing a full circle. You start off, you know, creating your own stories, your own games. Do you ever see that taking a, another shot at that uh, sometime in the upcoming future? Of I have thought about a second edition for my failed game back in the early 2000s yeah a more simple streamlined more modern game uh basically like i said it was the wrong game at the wrong time i back then i was very much into the nitpickiness of rules and a you know a thousand skills not i mean that's an exaggeration but lots of skills and stuff and over time i've been like you know a lot of that stuff just needs to be a lot simpler even if it's not realistic so that that's kind of in my thoughts and hopefully i'll be able to push that out at some point do that on the side or or get or get those stories finally uh into the world so they have a life of their own eh? right <laughs> well that'd be cool but- well, certainly uh, I'd love to have you come back if, uh, if, if, you know, either a for when you guys get to the, the season two of this, or even if you have other stories that uh, you're coming with, I find this stuff just absolutely fascinating. It is so cool to have an actual writer uh, on our, on our podcast. So I want to thank you very much for your time on that. And uh, I want to wish you guys all the best on this campaign. Again, 48 hours to go. If people love what you're hearing about Torg Eternity, check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes Lehman, all the best in this coming year. Right? Thank you very much for having me. It's been no awesome. Worries. You take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.